0: Hi, this is Paul Puckett. Welcome to Getting There. But sometimes you try to do too many things in one week. So I'm recording in a different location today because we moved over the past couple of days. And of course, moving, the younger you are, the easier it is. Even when you hire people to help you, you still do a lot that you don't normally do. So I'm operating today, you should know, on less sleep than normal, which of course I always tend to think out of the box, and my mind tends to drift into places, and today it may drift further than normal. So, you know, welcome to Getting There, the money show that focuses on your life. I have a question for you today. I do. I do. Now, don't turn off the radio. Don't turn off iTunes, whatever you're listening to me on. I I don't want you to hear the question and and immediately leave the show because you should at least know why I'm asking, right? So, if if you don't mind, uh, you know, I, I just want to ask you a question. Hey, what are you wearing? Hmm. Why would I ask you that? Well, it occurred to me as I see people spending the things they spend on clothes. That you know, maybe we should talk a little bit about where we spend our money. Now, of course, the wealthier you are, the less this matters in the big scheme of things, because you have enough to buy whatever it is you're buying. But for most of us, even those that have quite a bit of money, you know, you look at your spending, if you track it using Quicken or Mint.com or any of the available software packages, that lets you say, hey, where am I spending my money? Why do you spend more? than you necessarily have to or could for for fashion and for clothing. I mean, how long is it going to be in fashion? How long are you going to wear it? Now, you know, and, and that brings up a thought. The love of my life wears very nice clothes sometimes, often. She always looks good. But, you know, she gets them someplace other than the mall, so here in, in Bradenton, Florida, there's a uh, women's boutique, and all the proceeds go to um, women's type charities like a battered women's shelter. So when you, when you give them the money, you know the money's going for a good purpose. But here's the real kicker. The clothing might be designer. It might be, it's all donated. It might be really fine clothing. But I mean, she was wearing a dress the other day that would knock your socks off. And I think she paid 12 bucks for it and she got it off a mannequin. Hmm, nobody would know except the clerk that sold it to her. And maybe if the lady who donated it saw her, she might say, I used to have a dress like that, but that's doubtful. So I'm just curious, why do you spend what you spend for clothing? Hmm, there's gotta be a song that would fit that somewhere.
1: I am I'm too fabulous, I'm so there's that it's in nuts. It. and prada malady noir man you i love them jimmy chew the J'adore, ouais, c'est mon épique et moi Louis, Dolce, Gabbana Alexandre McQueen et oh merde, de l'homme de Manolo
0: And that was Lady Gaga fashion. Hmm. You know, I mentioned on an earlier show, probably about six months ago, Thomas Stanley, who unfortunately passed away too soon, but he was one of the first to do an incredible amount of research on the wealthy, the millionaires in America and what their habits were. And he had quite a few surprises. One of which is, you know, if you see someone And they're wearing a fine watch like a Rolex. And they're driving a fine car like a BMW, Mercedes, Lexus, um, Tesla, whatever. And they're very well-dressed and they have a very nice briefcase. You're probably not looking at the top 1% or top 5% or even the top 10% of wealth in America. What you're probably looking at is a private banker a broker, an insurance agent who serves the wealthy. Um, What Thomas Stanley found out is that when it comes to spending, America's millionaires tend to buy things at a discount or used. Maybe that's how they got wealthy. One of the things you hear me say on the show, since most of us, most of you, most everybody in America needs to save more, you spend less than you earn and eventually... You're ahead of your peers, regardless of your income level. If you spend more money than you earn, you've just got a boatload of debt. So what do what millionaires buy and how, how do they go about it? Well, for one thing, when he did the research um, a decade or so ago, you'd be surprised to know that the number one vehicle purchased by America's millionaires was a Ford F-150 pickup truck typically bought when it was two to four years old. I was walking through the mall recently, the reason I got on clothing, and I saw this really just perfect shirt to go out in. You've probably seen them. Thomas Dean makes them, Robert Graham, Talia. They have um, a different pattern cuff and collar than the rest of the shirt. Um, And you throw on a pair of blue jeans, and all of a sudden you look great, and all you really did if you're a guy is comb your hair and throw on one of these shirts. So I saw this shirt, and, and we walked in to, to take a look at it. And it, was it was just a great shirt. Very well designed, very well done. I would look good in it, and the shirt was only $188, just $188. Wait a second, $188 for a shirt? I mean, first of all, anybody who knows me knows that any shirt I wear is highly likely to eventually have a stain on it. It, I feel differently when my $20, $30 shirt gets a stain that I would if it was 188. So it made me start thinking about spending and, you know, it, part of what got me on that quite frankly is in case you haven't noticed a week from today is election day and Spending hasn't been a big topic of this election, but I pulled out the old federal budget. By the way, you know you can get that online um, from multiple sources directly. You don't have to go through the media to get it. You can go to whitehouse.gov. Just Google U.S. federal budget, and you can get a summary that shows where the country spends its money. Well, I'm not going to get into the political side, but it made me start thinking, well, where do you spend your money? Where do I spend my money? Are we doing the right thing? Are we being efficient with our finances? Now, I'm a, I'm a little different than you know the certified financial planners, investment advisors, and brokers who are so totally focused on controlling your spending that you end up not having any fun if you do it. Um, and I mentioned that one of the, one of the gurus I, I do agree with most of the time is Susie Orman. And she makes a good point on this particular topic, but I disagreed with her cause I don't, I think you have to remember money is a tool. You still have your life and your life should be enjoyable. And that means maybe you do occasionally spend something, um, frivolous because it gives you pleasure. So for instance, when the, um, the, I, I believe it was 01, um, 2000, 2001, 2002, when the market really plunged in the first bear market of this century. Of course, it did it again in 07, but at any rate, um, I think in both of those, she and a lot of other people in the um, financial guru land said, don't go out to eat. Well, that's fine, except that maybe going out to eat gives you pleasure. You don't have to go to a five-star restaurant, or maybe you do. Just don't go as often, but the restaurants, of course, end up going out of business. That affects the economy. They end up cutting back. People lose their jobs. You know, it's it's okay. It's absolutely okay to go out and spend a little bit of money. But the, the big picture is taking a step back and looking at where are you spending on a regular basis? Are there places where you're spending more than you should? So naturally, since I saw this $188 shirt... It occurred to me that maybe, just maybe, we spend too much for our clothing. Something that, assuming you maintain your weight, you know, which is challenging. Um, I think I mentioned on the show, I'm back in phase two of my plan to control type 2 diabetes using diet and exercise. So, it makes make no sense whatsoever for me to have bought the $188 shirt. It may not fit me in a year. Because or less, because I'm dropping weight to get the blood sugar under control. You can also, you know, have too many Krispy creams and Frappuccinos and fast food and you name it and gain weight and something you spend a bunch of money for is sitting in your closet and you can't wear it anymore. So, I mean, I, I think it's important to own a suit and tie, but really how much should you spend for it? Justin Timberlake suit and tie suit and tie. You know, I have to tell you after leaving private banking, um, one of the first things I found that I didn't need to do anymore was wear the French cuffs, the suit and the wingtips that I wore as a private banker. And the first prospective client I met with asked me why I was dressed that way. Um, he said, I'd, you know, I'd really prefer you to wear khakis and a polo shirt so that my neighbors don't know when you stop by to talk about money that I have a bunch of it. I'd prefer them not to know. And that was another characteristic of the millionaires next door. A lot of them live in homes with the mortgage fully paid off and they're modest homes in modest neighborhoods. And from the car and from their clothing and from their house, you'd never know that they are in fact millionaires. Now, of course, with inflation, a millionaire doesn't mean what it used to mean. People with a million are finding out, gee, I thought once I hit this number, you know, I'd be really, really well off in, in the, um, guide I wrote recently, I call it a guide because it was intentionally kept short. Technically it's a book. It's on Amazon retirement income lot. I point out the issues that we face today. If we're say, Oh, 55, 60, 65. and, And we're, we decide to retire early or we're 65 and we're retiring and you know, we don't, we think, what did I do wrong? I I don't seem to have enough income here. Well, with interest rates where they are, it takes a boatload of money just to generate $12,000 a year. I mean, think about it. In 1983, your parents could retire, say, or grandparents, depending on how old you are, somebody could retire in 1983 and just $100,000 in, for instance, a 13% or 12% treasury, 30-year treasury, they're getting $1,000 a month, 12000 a year for every $100,000 they can invest in these longer-term treasuries which I do not recommend currently for obvious reasons, but I'll make those reasons more apparent. By the way, let's do the disclosure before I forget. My name is Paul Puckett. I'm an investment advisor rep of Q1 Advisors and an independent insurance agent serving clients in Virginia and Florida. Anything I say on the show is hopefully going to make you think, possibly make you consider making some changes to what you're currently doing. But don't take anything I say on the show to be specific advice because, quite frankly, I don't know what your situation is. And I can't really give you specific advice without knowing the specifics, sorry to repeat the word specifics, but knowing exactly what it is you're working with and trying to do. Now, that doesn't mean there's not general advice that everybody would benefit from. For instance, spend less than you earn during your working years. Well, pretty much that's good advice for anybody. But just recognize as we dive into, for instance, retirement income lock, it may or may not be appropriate for you. Now, it's not a product. Retirement income lock is a word I came up with to let people know, for instance, that you do have an option in the markets, actually in the insurance industry to guarantee and lock in your income. They've gotten a lot of attention lately from um, the the gurus in government and in universities. You know, Social Security, um, you get a check every month. And you you don't really, maybe you worry about it, but you really shouldn't. Um, Changing that program or ending that program, even if needed, is going to be very difficult for politicians to do. Um, first of all, they don't have the courage. And second of all, they may get voted out if they, if they handle it badly. So you're going to get your Social Security check, particularly if you're already getting one. For those of you that are in your 20s, you need to consider the fact that maybe substantial changes will be made to a program that was originally designed to pay for a very small percentage of the po- uh, population who made it past the age of 65. Well, of course, 100, there are people that are, there are quite a few who make it to 100 or more. And so now this program that was designed for a relatively small number of people in a short number of years is paying people for 30 and 40 years. So the younger you are, the more you should make sure, well, I think all of you should, but the more you should make sure that you self-fund your retirement. Okay, so this retirement income lock you hear me talk about. Do you know what asset allocation is? I said that fast. Asset allocation. It's all it is, is dividing up your assets. For instance, cash, you need an emergency fund, right? And then you need something that generates growth. I don't care how old you are. You don't know how long you're going to be around and you need growth in your portfolio. Why? Because of this thing called inflation. Now, inflation hasn't been that bad the past decade or so, except in healthcare. And in education, if you're paying for somebody's college, those two areas, we could go into why, but then I'd be getting into economics and politics. But the government prints a lot of money, and it goes into health and education. So there. At any rate, inflation hasn't been that bad, but it's still been there. A dollar doesn't buy what a dollar used to buy. So you have to have growth. Now, where do you get growth? Well, stock market, real estate, real estate. Um commodities, futures, whatever, but traditional growth, and I think the the best category of growth for most investors is the stock market paul you 've lost your mind. there have been two big bear markets, well, yeah, but it recovered pretty fast. You may not have noticed because the media tends to hammer at the negative, and you 've got a full lot of commercials that come from the insurance industry on a great product, but they they advertise it poorly. An indexed annuity that says, hey, you can get the market return without the risk. Hmm. Does that sound unrealistic? Well, well, it is. Okay. I'll personally guarantee you, you cannot get the market return without the risk. You're going to take the risk. Second of all, indexed annuities don't give you the market return. They give you an interest rate based on what the market does. But the whole purpose in looking at these products is they don't have the risk of the stock market, but they do have a better return than you can get on, for instance, certificates of deposit or plain vanilla fixed annuities, meaning like a fixed annuity for five years that pays currently maybe 2%. You have the potential for a better return, but much less risk. Now the cost to you of getting that reduction in risk is 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 the opportunity cost. You are not going to get thirty five percent if the market does thirty five percent. You may be capped at four or five or six percent. Just so you know, the insurance company doesn't get the rest of the money. Um, they are they do make a profit, obviously, on anything you sell, and you want them to because they're the ones guaranteeing what you get. So, retirement income lock is asset allocation. You you can tell I'm tired. You hear the voice? Asset allocation, where the cash is the same, you still need an emergency fund. You still need liquidity. That's money you can access quickly for emergencies, for other things. You need growth from the stock market. And then you need something in the fixed income area. Now, here's what retirement income locks the whole purpose. First of all, it's to make you aware you can have a guaranteed income um, similar to Social Security, except it's not government guaranteed or the checks don't come from the government. They come from an insurance company. And that's why the quality of the company and the quality of the product you buy is critical. A lower rate from a quality company makes a lot of sense because let's say you live 40 years and they've guaranteed they're going to pay you for 40, you know, Hey, it might be nice to know they're around. I think. So what it does is traditional asset allocation is cash, stocks, bonds. Interest rates are not so good right now, are they? They might drop a little bit further, but doubtful. If they stay flat, you're just not getting paid very much. And if they go up Bond funds will get hammered. So if the risk is really in the bond funds, then why don't we dump them and put that money in something that's guaranteed that has a comparable or higher rate of return? Less risk, more income, or more return. Retirement income locks is only about 60 pages. Why? Well, because there's not that much you really need to know to take a look and say, I should talk to my professional about this. If you're in the Manatee County, Sarasota County, or Southwest Florida area, or Southeastern Virginia, talk to me. That is a, a commercial done by the host while talking. It's what I specialize in. Let's take a break so I can get some, something to drink on my, oh, I know what I want. Won't surprise any of you who listen regularly. Back in a second. Hi, this is Paul Puckett. As you may know, I love coffee. My friends would tell you I don't love coffee. It's an obsession and not just any coffee. Espresso. If you're in the Bradenton area, one of the jewels of Bradenton is Old Main Street and you'll find a coffee shop, B-Town Coffee, with a great alley and awnings and fans to keep you cool in the summer and in the shade, free Wi-Fi and quite frankly, the best hot dog in town. Stop by. You'll enjoy B-Town Coffee now you know i'm i'm sitting here you may think i'm getting on to you about how much you spend and then i of course talk about all the espresso i like to go drink well that's my point that's my point point. Don't get carried away focusing on money, which is just a tool, when your life and the time you have here on this planet are infinitely more valuable than money. Pick the things that give you pleasure and enjoyment and do those. Find a way to make enough to do those. Save first, spend less than you earn, but find the little things that give you pleasure. Now, clothing may be your thing If so, spend less somewhere else. Just make sure you spend less than you earn. Make sure you invest wisely. And as you're approaching retirement, consider... Well, actually, consider this no matter how old you are. Bond funds, as you've heard me say, and I'm going to continue hammering it, because the day will come when interest rates do go up, even though every government in the world is doing everything they can to keep it from happening... You, you can't control the markets long-term. You can try. You can have an effect. But eventually, well, things happen like they did in the, well, let's see, early 80s when prime went from 7.5 to 22.5 in 18 months. You do not want to know how bond funds performed. There weren't that many back then. And these days, all you get, even from websites like Morningstar.com, is five-year trailing performance. Well, in the bond market it runs in long, long cycles. Think 30 to 35 years. We're just finishing the declining interest rate environment of the past 35, 6 years, right? Now, does that mean it can't continue going down or can't stay flat, that it's going to immediately turn? Um, No, it can do whatever it wants. And as I said, the the policies of the Fed and of the international banking community is let's keep these things low. Why? Government has a lot of debt. The last thing they need is to be refinancing at, at, at a higher rate. That will affect what the government has to pay in interest to its bondholders. So they want to postpone it as long as possible. But getting back to my point, Espresso, for me, is an example of, hey, I could get a cheaper cup of coffee somewhere, and I do occasionally, actually regularly, make my own espresso, but it's nice to be able to walk into a coffee shop like B-Town and let somebody else make it, and then sit out in that alley and just enjoy that moment. For like $3, I get a half an hour of relaxation and pleasure. Um... Plus the fact I love the flavor of the espresso. So that's my gig. Doesn't need to be yours. You may think, dude, you need therapy. You like this espresso way too much. And you may have a point. But on the other hand, what you want to do and what gives you pleasure may be something I don't want to do. And that's okay. We're all different. You know, I have to tell you, I saw this on Facebook. Um, Moscow, that would be the Moscow in Russia, is... Suggesting that with the proper tunnel built from Alaska to Russia, it would be nice if people could hop in their car in New York City and drive all the way to London, the long way going west across the continent of America, then into Russia. And of course, out of Russia and through the European countries until you get to London or you could hang a left and go to Italy or France or wherever. Anyway, it's only about 12,000 miles, maybe closer to 13,000 miles. I love doing road trips, as I think you probably know. What a road trip. I mean, almost 13,000 miles. Wow, that, would, that, would, that really would take longer than six days on the road.
2: so wound up and she's running like never before. There's a speed zone and on my right, but I don't see a cop in sight. Six days on the road and I'm gonna make it home tonight. Well, Marie's a little old, but that don't mean she's slow. There's a flame from her stack blowing smoke as black as Drive. I got the pedal to the metal and my eyes are open wide. I just pissed Baby and
0: Probably could have segued that better, but I've been dying to put on George Thorogood and the Destroyers, and that was his song, Six Days on the Road. Now, needless to say, New York to London, well, unless you're rotating drivers and not stopping at all, would take longer than six days, plus the fact you'd want to stop and enjoy the sights. But nonetheless, cars like clothing we tend to spend more than we probably should, particularly if you're like me and you drive a lot of miles and you simply can't keep a car long-term unless the car can handle having three, four hundred, five hundred thousand 500,000 miles put on it. Um, I average anywhere from thirty to 50,000 miles a year because, as you heard during the disclosure, I have clients in Virginia. I live in Florida. I have clients in Florida. And so, you know, if you add that up, it's basically 2,000 miles round-trip Every time I do it now that it's really 1800 miles round trip, but there's another 200 you spend driving to people's houses and offices to meet with them. So for me, for instance, leasing a car would make no sense because there aren't too many leases designed for somebody who's doing anywhere from 30 to 50,000 miles a year. So I don't want you to beat yourself up if you're paying more than you should for your car. I don't want to, when I say, what are you wearing? I did that intentionally because I knew it 'd wake you up a little bit, but what, what what are you wearing right now is relevant if you look down and realize why did I buy that? I could have gotten that somewhere else and had extra money in my investment account or extra money for a, a night out it 's not a matter of rigid rules it 's a matter of making sure that you periodically check how is my portfolio doing, how is my spending doing. It's sort of like, well, since I brought this up, um, let's talk about it a little bit. Type 2 diabetes is an acquired disease. Research indicates that if you don't have the gene that triggers diabetes, you won't get it. As far as I know, that is still true. Keeping in mind, although I have stayed at Holiday Expresses before, I am not a medical doctor or an expert on this issue. However... Many members of my family had the pleasure of type 2 diabetes. Now, type 1 diabetes is a different animal, just so you know. Um, Used to be they said type 1 is diagnosed as a child, type 2 is diagnosed as an adult, but they're finding that's not necessarily 100%. That's generally true, but you can develop type 1 diabetes. Now, type 1 diabetes, you've got to have insulin. You know, you've got to have drugs because your body is not going to do what it needs to do without them. Okay. But type two diabetes, they're finding diet and exercise are keys. Now I bumped into it first. I ever, by the way, I've never actually been diagnosed, but that's because I'm also an insurance agent and I know what diabetes will do to your insurance application so I heard my A1C level from the nurse. I asked, I said, hey, before the doctor gets here, can you at least tell me what my A1C is? And when I heard, I um, immediately decided that I had forgotten an appointment and I got out of there before the doctor could diagnose me. Picked up a book called The End of Diabetes by Dr. Joel Furman. In that book, he has a diet and an exercise program. Now, being that I'm a, well, quite frankly, very good cook, Um, I didn't really pay a lot of attention to the recipes and because I used to be an athlete, I guess I still am in some ways. Um, I decided I would design my own workout too, but, but I got the basics of what I needed to do, which is, is literally focus on. A very limited type of diet in what you eat, but unlimited. It's almost impossible to get enough calories. Tell you the truth, sixty percent vegetables, twenty percent fruit, ten percent legumes—that's kidney beans, garbanzo beans, black beans, whatever—and ten percent nuts. Because there's no alcohol, meat, cheese, dairy, gluten, pasta, bread on the diet. Friends of mine have said, "It's Paul, that diet's not ten percent nuts; it's hundred percent nuts." But hey. Diabetes is a serious illness, and I really don't want to go the drug route if I can help it. So, the, the overall point, the reason I'm tying that in, is we are all unique individuals. There's some things that apply to all of us, and then there's some things that, you know, hey, we're different. I, for instance, have the diabetes gene. I have to be more careful than somebody who does not but I like espresso and they found out by the way that coffee and espresso, in addition to all sorts of other things, they've confirmed, um, risking the, the, the chance of Parkinson's, um, and all that. Yeah, guess what? Uh, turns out coffee is not a bad thing for you if you're diabetic. Um, isn't that cool? Um, if there's a study contradicting that, do me a favor and don't tell me, um, because I'm going to drink it anyway. Um, just because, like I say, okay, we're talking enough about coffee. I told you I'm tired. All right, so let's take a break. And in the break, other than listening to whatever it is I put in that break, I just want you to think a little bit. Last thought on it: What are you driving? What are you wearing? What are you? Where are you living? And does your income and your portfolio support all those things? If the answer is no, like my diet to get my blood sugar under control, mm, you may have to look at a financial diet. You know, I'm not ending with that. That just sounds, I mean, the word diet, I hate the word. How about this? You need a plan different than what you're currently doing just like I need a plan different than what I'm currently doing. That sounds better. Let's take a break.
3: When you want the best in business coaching, life coaching, or perhaps your organization, business, or company is in need of a dynamic speaker for an upcoming workshop or seminar, contact Louise Hicks for L Hicks Consulting, Consulting Services at 1. 1- 562-310-1495. 1, 1, From anywhere around the world, that's 1-562-310-1495. For more information about Louise Hicks Center Consulting Services, visit her website at www.louisehicks.biz. Again, that's www.louisehicks.biz or call 1-562-310-1495. L. Hicks Consulting Services, where professionalism is top priority.
0: all right. I know what you're thinking. Well, you may be thinking I'm insane for opening a show with the question, what are you wearing? Okay, good. That's cool. That's, that's all right by me. No, I know what you're thinking because it's reached the point where all of us are thinking about it. Yep. One week from today, an election, since the incumbent can't run again, then whoever we get is new. Hmm. For some reason, this particular election cycle, there seems to be a pick the lesser of two evils at a higher level than there has been in the past. Now, me, without getting into politics and telling you what to do, um, I'm not sure we've had a lot of good choices for a very, very long time. I mean, Barack Obama having the first African-American president, first black president, that's awesome. If Hillary Clinton wins, we'll have a female president. That's awesome. On the other hand, you know, we need to begin having some people in Washington. And again, neither candidate is talking about this, so I'll bring it up because it amazes me how many people don't know this. Google United States Federal Budget History You'll probably find whitehouse.gov. Go there and download it into Excel and look at it. It's no different than doing your own finances as long as you very wisely pick. I think it's uh, either 3.1 or 4.1, either one. One is agency and sub-agency, and one is just the agencies. For instance, what does the Department of Defense spend? What does the Department of Health and Human Services spend? And you can scroll and see how that has changed over the past 40 or 50 years. One day we're going to have to address it. I'll tell you that. So why am I bringing this up? Am I about to endorse a candidate, tell you why you must vote for this one and not that one? Is there going to be a political commercial played on getting there, the money show that focuses on your life? No. It's a reminder that for the portion of the audience who thinks if Donald Trump wins, it's going to be the end of the world. Hmm. And for the other portion of listeners who think if Hillary Clinton wins, it's going to be the end of the world, which means many of you think no matter who wins, it's going to be the end of the world. Okay. I got news for you. Um, Although some of the checks and balances of government have, shall we say, been weakened over the years, they're still there. Okay. There's still 50 governors. There's still a Congress, House, Senate, there's still a Supreme Court, and there's still individual citizens out there who express themselves to these representatives. And sometimes the representatives actually listen. That does happen. Sometimes they don't. No matter who is elected, it is not the end of the world. Now, There are some things that might make sense for you to talk with someone like me, your professional, your CPA, or your attorney. um, Or like I say, you can always call me. And I'll probably suggest if it's a tax issue that we involve your accountant or tax attorney. But there are things you can look at in the proposals these candidates have. So, for instance... Ignore okay. First of all, ignore anything that says if Hillary Clinton wins, the stock market's going to take off or go down, or vice versa. If Donald Trump wins, the stock market's going to go down or go up. They don't know, okay. As I, as I've told you before, and played the song on the show. You know, an economist is someone, and a market person is that projects what the market's going to do is somebody who will tell you today why what they predicted yesterday didn't happen. As Zach Brown puts it, who knows? Who knows? Um, Nobody. So you can ignore those. But what you can pay attention to, for instance, are the candidates' tax plans. Now, of course, they've got to get them through Congress. Congress is the one they have to draft it. But once the election is over, there are different things you might consider doing if Trump wins than if Hillary Clinton wins and vice versa. One of which is if you're in higher income brackets or even average income brackets, Hillary Clinton's plan is a huge increase on the capital gains tax, which means since you can control when you take capital gains taxes, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you pay $100 for something, it's worth $200. When you sell it, you have a $100 capital gain, and that's something you pay taxes on. Better to pay less taxes than more right so once someone is elected you might want to look at their plans talk to your accountant talk to your investment professional and make changes even if it triggers some taxes if you believe that they will be lower if you pay them now than down the road just a thought that's the only thing you should consider when somebody gets elected is what changes should you make to your portfolio you know I want to fit one last song in. So just remember you're responsible for yourself. You're responsible for your portfolio. You're responsible for what you do. Still have fun, but don't depend on anybody, anywhere, for a free ride. performance of another group that i've been dying to play on the show i think that's the first time i played edgar winter and of course that was free ride and that was a live recording from the 70s all the music here on the show is from youtube and in addition to a creative commons license um, bbsradio.com maintains licenses for the playing of music on the air so let's wrap this thing up You've taken a look at what you're wearing. You've taken a look at what you're driving. You understand that maybe when you look at your portfolio, um, you should consider when it comes to planning for retirement and retiring, taking a look at my guide, Retirement Income Lock. I call it a guide because it's just 60 pages um, short so that you can get the idea without getting overly burdened. Big message of today's show is never broadcast when you haven't had enough sleep. No, the big message of today's show is, Check your spending. Check that you're investing and spending less than you earn. And no matter what happens on Election Day, it is not the end of the world. Have a great week. I look forward to next week's show. Until then.